Once more, let us come before the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Creator God, creator of unity, body of peace, spirit of community, bind us together around your word this day and send us out to do your justice. Show your mercy and embody your redeeming love, glorifying you, Holy Trinity. Amen. Good morning, everyone present in the congregation and those virtually. We begin our scripture reading this morning um, with the Old Testament reading, Malachi chapter 2, verse 4 to 9. Know then that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may hold, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was a covenant of life and well-being, which I gave him. This call called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in integrity and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in your instruction. And the New Testament reading is from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides in you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. The Old Testament reading, um, Psalm 47, will be read responsibly. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. The Lord, the Most High, is awesome, a great king over all the earth. 
He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God is the King over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. The last reading is from the New Testament, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Therefore, the prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But Speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part, working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word to us. Friends in Christ, what I say to you this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I suspect this is probably more a male problem than a female problem. But have you been ever kind of sitting at the table, at the end of the meal, with the last morsel of food on your plate? And you look at it. And for a minute you think, 
Maybe I should cut that. But you don't. Stick the fork into the meat, put the meat in the mouth, and it's not until you get it in your mouth that you, that you are indeed confirmed in your original questioning that, yes, this was too big a bite. Perhaps I should have cut it. I have bitten off more than I can chew. That's where the expression comes from. So clearly, it's not that we've never done it. This sermon this morning is kind of like that. Thinking about this, this passage throughout the week, it's evolved and there were, each, each time I would look at the text that you just heard from Ephesians, something else would stand out. I think the first time that I sat down and really started to consider this text this week, I was really going to speak to you about those words, to be tossed about to and fro like a ship upon the sea in, on poor doctrine. There's surely a good sermon there. And then, of course, the next time I read it, I was struck by that thing that always speaks to me from this text, Paul's emphasis on the idea of unity. And then, the next time I read it, there was all of that great flourish at the beginning. One church, one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Father of us all. This great creedal statement that Paul makes. It's This is a complex text and I suspect I could come back after holidays and preach it to you for another ten weeks. Taking one of these things or another at a time or maybe at least another three weeks to look at some of the things that we're not going to to, to hammer into in, in, in great detail this morning. But there's some things that you need to know about this text before you get into it. The things that make it make sense that it is this, this very busy text with so much meat in it. This text from Paul's letter to the Ephesians is the transition point in Paul's letter. Previous to this, Paul has been making a great theological argument for the unity of the church. In Paul's context, unity of the church meant the competing claims to supremacy on the one hand of churches in throughout Asia Minor that, uh, that, that, were, that rose out of Jewish synagogues and churches throughout Asia Minor that rose out of the Gentile people, not out of the synagogues, but people who had come to faith in Christ without the mediation of the Old Testament. This was a significant debate in the early life of the church in the first century. And it comes to a head, it seems, in Ephesus. And so Paul addresses that there. So behind this whole oneness, that in that that permeates this meeting is that or sorry that permeates this reading is this this competition between the Jewish church and the Gentile church. And then the second half of the book, in which Paul lays out what the implications of being church are. Once we deal with the unity stuff, what does it mean to be the people of God? to be followers of Jesus Christ. 
And then this passage that sits right in the middle, as I mentioned, well, it's got both of them in it. So it's rich in, in both theological argument, but also in pushing us toward the question of living faith. The passage that we just heard is perhaps the oldest creedal statement of the Christian church. There is one body and one spirit, just as we are called to the one hope of our calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. In those words, we hear the, 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 the root of the Nicene Creed that several hundred years later was written as a, as a codification of what the church truly believed. But here we see its roots in the early days of the Christian church, some 70 years perhaps after the death of Christ. In these verses, we hear Paul focus on the unity of the church. In just four verses, Paul uses that word one seven times. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And underscores for us that the purpose of our faith is to draw us together. We are one in Jesus Christ. The problem with this statement of belief, however, the problem indeed with any statement of belief like this is the simple reality that often it's far too easy for us to reduce these statements of belief into intellectual constructs. Assertions that we know in our minds but perhaps don't always live out in our, with our hands or in our hearts, but which do, they do not seem to influence our daily lives. Perhaps that becomes most apparent and most obvious of all each decade or so when there's a census. It's not each decade or so, it's each decade when there is the census. And Canadians are asked to declare their faith or their denomination. And faith leaders across the nation are shocked and surprised to discover that when these results of the census are tabulated, there are all of these people that apparently believe just like we do. We just don't know that they're there. There are so many people who claim to be Presbyterian, but if you look at the statistics in the back of the Acts and Proceedings of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Canada that tracks things like worship attendance, we don't see those people reflected there. There is that disconnect between the statistics of the, sen- of the census and the experience of the church. In this passage, Paul asserts that faith should change us. That faith will change us. The first verse of this, this reading begins... I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It's not just 
to believe it in your head. It is to live it in your life. To to live to the calling to which you have been called with all gentleness, pardon me, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. To lead a life worthy of the call to which we have been called. In these words, there is an expectation that faith can indeed be seen in our daily lives. Because faith changes us. It is is reflected in our behavior. And what does faith look like? It is humble. It is gentle. It is patient. It is kind. Maybe that's why we don't see faith too often. Because humility... Gentleness, patience, and kindness, well, they are difficult traits of character to embrace. I know they are for me. But I'm learning, I hope, to be a little bit more gentle, a little bit more patient, a little bit more kind, and yes, even a little bit more humble each and every day, so that should I live to be 200 years old, well, then actually you might start to see all of those things reflected in my life. But if you think about those things, those are indeed the characteristics that are needed and that must be embraced if there's going to be unity. If we're going to live together We need to be humble and gentle and patient and kind. In a world that is growing, of growing conflict and polarization, the power, the proof of this is all around us, or perhaps the lack of the proof of it is all around us. There is so little patience and kindness in our political discourse these days. And without these traits, we cannot truly entertain any discussion about different ideas. This is true both in regular discourse and in the church. For Paul and the church in Ephesus, as we have said, their great issue lie in whether there was a superiority to being a Jewish Christian or not, or whether it was the Gentile Christians who had a certain Uh, monopoly upon the truth of the gospel. For the church in the modern era, we have had to wrestle with questions such as the ordination of women or debates about human sexuality and whether LGBTQ individuals have leadership, can have leadership roles within the church. And as we look to the future, questions about creation and climate change I think are going to become some of those difficult questions and they will ask us to live our lives in faith that will cause us to live differently. And along the way, there's going to be debate. There's going to be discussion and dispute. And so how do we 
negotiate all of those problems. For me, as I have watched our denomination and others wrestle with some of these questions, I have been content sometimes with the slow pace of progress on the, pay, on, on the place of LGBTQ people in the church. Because I have seen the church struggling to find the truth. To, have, to, to, to take the various positions and to speak them out in such a way that we can find what is God's truth for us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so long as we are struggling for the truth, then we must be patient, I believe. And I have always rested there on Paul's exhortation that we are in all things to be seeking unity. It has sometimes been frustrating. It has sometimes been difficult. But always we have been seeking God's truth and hopefully embarking on that with a sense of our humility. How are we then to bear witness to Jesus Christ in the world with any sort of credibility if we're always fighting over each with each other over every point of doctrine? If, as Paul says, tossed about to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery and by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. At the heart of today's text, text, right in the middle of these 16 verses are these words. But each of us has given grace according to the measure of of God's, of, pardon me, of Christ's gift. These words are pivotal to the whole passage. For how do people assert that we should be given grace? Pardon me, I left the word out of the manuscript there. For how many people assert that we should be given grace in accordance to the measure of how we live our lives? Right? That we are to seek God's grace and God's mercy and God's justice by living righteously. And certainly, Paul would argue for righteousness. But listen carefully to Paul. Paul does not say we receive the measure of God's grace by what we do. But rather, he says we receive God's grace because of what Christ has already done for us that great the grace of god is not a reward but rather the result of christ's great acts of love descending to the dead and then defeating death before ascending into heaven where he shall reign above all things where he will fill all things If our experience of God's grace, then, is dependent upon our own action, not upon our own actions, but on those things that Christ has already freely done for us, then we are equal heirs of God's grace. 
And that, I think, changes everything. It means that there is no inside and outside. There are no favored ones and those who are least favored at the table. But that we are all indeed one. Because we have all received the same grace in Christ. The one grace of Christ. Equal and free and poured out for us all. It encourages us within our own congregations and beyond these walls out into the world working with other Christian communities to work together to show Christ's love for the world. To be those who draw us all together that God's kingdom might be realized. Always working for justice. Always striving to bring God's peace to others. Always looking for the joy of the gospel. In the mundane tasks of each day. For we have received God's grace. Given to all in Jesus Christ. And the measure of God's grace is not what we have done, but what Christ has done for us that forgives us and enables us to be present to the world and active in ministry. Thanks be to God for giving us this example of what faith can look like. Amen.